This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech fan number 34 with Tim Robertson, David Cohen, and special guest Mark O'Neill for Movie Draft Software plus WWDC and E3. And it's tech fan number 34. I'm Tim Robertson. Uh, like a two weeks late. <laughs> it happens. David Cohen is uh, mobile this week. Hello, David. Yes, I'm from the uh, On Wheels Record podcast recording studio in Britain. So you're in a carport right now? Uh, yeah, but basically I've, I've pulled over. I'm on a, a most way services just outside London. Um, I've got my iPad hooked up to uh, a MiFi, and that's how I'm coming to you today. Awesome. That kind of explains the audio quality a little bit. Yeah, it's not as good as it normally is, um, but uh, you know what? It's magic that even works at all. Yeah, when you think about it, you're in, uh, you're right outside London. I'm in Michigan in the U.S., and you're in a car, and we're recording a podcast. That's kind yeah. of impressive, I think. It is. It is. It's so we're hoping to do an interview today, but um, the gentleman's like 20 minutes late. He he may have been confused on the time. That happens occasionally when you're dealing with um, people from overseas, and he's in your neck of the woods. So, yeah, so I'll probably have to uh, drive around and knock on his door, wake him up. You know, if, if it's not too much trouble. Yeah, well, it's only a small place. We all live around the corner from each other over here. <laughs> so... Yeah, a lot's happened um, in the last two weeks. Obviously, E3 happened. Um, Apple had their WWDC. Uh, but closer to home, uh, at MyMac.com, when we lost one of our uh, longtime writers, Roger Bourne. Yeah, um, I to hear that. Roger has, had been fighting cancer for a very long time. And the last time I saw him in person was at Macworld Expo a couple years ago, and he was wheelchair-bound at that point. Uh, just so he can get around a little bit easier. And the thing about Roger was, number one, he he had been with MyMac since, I'm going to say, 2000. I I think 1999, December, was when he first got with us. And he came to the writer's party at Macworld Expo in January of 2000. And that's when I met Roger in person for the first time. And he was such an engaging person. You know those personalities, David, that you just like to be around. They're nice. They're uh, they're giving. They never have a bad thing to say about anybody, unlike me. Um, and, and that was Roger, and he was so talented as a writer. And yeah. there there was some times there that the medications and the therapies and the radiation, all that, um, kind of clouded his thoughts a little bit. Yeah. And that always bothered Roger, but. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was really sad uh, to see I, Roger pass away. I always thought, though, it, it said something about his, his talent and commitment as a writer that no matter how ill he was feeling, he always still wanted to write. That's right. Uh, it, he always wanted to be published. You know, he always wanted to have his voice. And I think that kind of drive is something that you don't find in many people nowadays. Absolutely. He, he, uh, had, he had a drive. He had to write. That was... That's the difference between some writers and others. If you're a great writer, 
you have to write. It's yeah. not that you want to, you have to write. And that was definitely, definitely Roger. Um, and, and I was proud to, to present his work to the world, to be frank, uh, for 11 yeah. years that it was, it was my honor and yeah. he's going to be, he's going to be missed. He's missed already. Yeah. So, Absolutely. so we do, uh, have our interview. I see he just jumped up on, uh, on Skype, David. Excellent timing. Excellent timing. Let's take a quick break. We got a commercial to play, so let's pay, play this commercial. You might know, uh, you might recognize the voice in the commercial, but uh, let's play that ad. We'll be right back. The biggest drawback to owning a portable Mac? Not enough hard drive space. Who wants to carry an external hard drive around with you? That defeats the entire reason to own a laptop. Instead, replace that seldom-used optical drive with an MCE OptiBay. With OptiBay, you can install a second hard drive in your MacBook, MacBook Pro, or heck, even a Mac Mini. Imagine two terabytes more storage in your MacBook Pro. Or heck, even one of those super-fast, solid-state drives. With MCE's OptiBay, you can do just that. Check them out online at mcetech.com. That's M-C-E-T-E-C-H dot com. And we're back, and uh, of course, David, that was my voice in that ad. Uh, yeah, I thought I'd heard it somewhere before. That's uh, for the OptiBay, uh, new sponsor of the MyMac podcast, the Tech Fan podcast, uh, App Minute podcast, and coming, oh, and Pocket Size podcast. And coming very soon, David, some uh, exciting news. You remember we had just, I had Justin Bryce on the show uh, last episode. Yeah. Justin does the Drunken Halo video game podcast, but he's also. Um, a really big geek, which we like. And we have a show called The Geekiest Show Ever that Chad Perry and I had been recording, but we um, have neglected the show since December. It's just right. one of those things that Chad and I do it in person, and it's actually harder to get together in person sometimes than it is over Skype. Um, yeah. Prime example, you're in, a, you're in a car, and we're podcasting. So that's not always uh, an option with Chad and I. He doesn't have the type of gear that you or I do. So we get together in person to record the show. And as you know, I closed down the studio uh, maybe, what, a month and a half, two months ago? I'm recording at home again in the home studio. And that makes it even more difficult, which means my wife has to literally take the kids and leave while I podcast. Otherwise, you get to hear kids in the background. And doesn't make for the most enjoyable podcast. Um, maybe a few people would enjoy it, but I wouldn't enjoy trying to record in that you know, there's just no way that would work for me. No. So, Chen, I, I we're still going to do Geeky Show ever occasionally, maybe once or twice a year. Hopefully, more than that if our schedules kind of open up. But that's just the way it's been recently. So, I want to I'm not necessarily relaunch Geeky Show ever, but get it going again. And Justin and his partner are going to do just that. Fantastic. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully that'll happen real soon. We'll obviously make an announcement here on TechFan when it launches and goes live again, uh, as well as the, the MyMac podcast. But that means, David, that the MyMac Podcasting Network is going to be five shows strong once again. Excellent. World domination awaits us. That's right. <laughs> so I was mentioning earlier, we're going to have a, someone in to uh, for an interview, and I didn't mention his name just in case he didn't show up. I didn't want to embarrass him. I would have waited to the end of the show to do that. Uh, <laughs> his name is Mark O'Neill. Hello, Mark. Hi, how are you, Tim? I'm well. Where are you at? Where are you located? I'm in a place called Banbury, which is not far from Oxfordshire. Uh, it's, sorry, Oxford is in Oxfordshire in the UK. Oh, I was going to say, is that Jamaica? 
the accent. <laughs> no, she did it herself. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't heard your accent before anywhere. It was completely foreign to me. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's it's a Welsh accent. Uh, I'm originally from Wales, so it's got a bit of a, a twang to it. Now, we had talked a little bit on email over this last week, and I invited you on the show because you've got a piece of software. You're a Mac developer. Uh, I kind of like the story behind the software as well, but I really like the software. Obviously, I haven't used it very long. I've been toying with it. It's called Movie Draft, and mm-hmm. it's for sale in the Mac App Store, although you can download a demo of it on your website. It's moviedraft.com. Uh, yeah, currently it's only for sale on the Mac um, App Store. Um, hopefully, when my website is finally finished, I'll be able to offer it for sale on there as well. But yeah, it's only on the Mac App Store at the moment. Now, I, this was a big debate when the Mac App Store launched because a lot of developers uh, like to sell their software through their website. But the problem with that is you don't get the automatic updates that the Mac App Store provides. Where do you fall in that? Do you think, well, maybe I, I won't bother with the website or you definitely want to sell on the website? Definitely, because one of the biggest disadvantages to the Mac App Store from a developer point of view is the fact that you have no visibility of your customers whatsoever. Yeah, that's I mean, true. I, couldn't, I couldn't email any of the customers and say, hey, there's a new update. Um, I could post, obviously, an update to the Mac App Store, and when it finally got reviewed and approved, um, you could, if you happened to you know, log into the App Store, you'd see that there was an update available for you. But other than that, you'd, you'd have no idea. And I think that's quite a big downfall. Maybe their model will change in the future where they might offer you know, you at least the ability to email your customers, but um, at the moment, I find it quite uh, debilitating. Is this the first piece of software you've written? For the Mac, yes. I mean, I started off writing, well, it was just a, an experiment, really. I wrote something called Scene Writer. Um, it was just for a PC written in Delphi, um, which is what started this whole thing off, really. And you know, I got so far with it, and I realized <laughs> I need to start again, because I, I, that's how I started to learn programming, basically, was through necessity. And so I got as far as I could with Delphi, and I thought, oh, no, I need to do it properly. So I thought, let's get a Mac. So that's what I did. And um, then Movie Draft stemmed from Scenewriter, almost like an extension from it. All the good idea- ideas that I wanted to put into Scenewriter, but A, didn't have the development skills because I didn't know how to do them. And B, I, was, I felt that I was quite limited in, in Delphi, not being able to do anything outside of the built-in controls that it, that it had. So I thought I'd start again. That's where it started. Now, screenwriting software generally has been very expensive up till now. I mean, sure. I, I've looked at the the software that everyone tends to say, "Oh, this is the this is the most professional. This is what Hollywood uses. This is what the Screenwriters mm-hmm. Guild kind of backs," and it's three hundred dollars. And I'm I I, I can never justify it to myself three hundred dollars for something that I may just you know, piddle around with. Nothing that I'm going to get real serious about, but, you know, hey, I kind of want it. Maybe I've got this. I think everybody feels like they've got at least one screenplay in them. But $300, I I can't justify that. Your software, however, much more affordable. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, cost aside, bizarrely, the most popular screenwriting software is not the one that you're um, pointing out there. (laughs) I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name. Sure, absolutely. yeah, it's not, it's not Final Draft. Um, it's actually Microsoft Word because yeah. everybody's got Microsoft Word. Um, yeah. I, 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 I was yeah, I was wondering that when when uh, when you were saying when Tim was saying about uh, Final Draft, I, I was thinking of um, about 
um, a, a dedicated piece of software, what does it do over and above what you can do with normally word processor? Mostly sure. formatting, really, and no. I mean, there's a lot. If you look at Final Draft, it does do a lot of things, but it's three hundred dollars. It does a lot of things at the stage where you're in production. Yes. Um, but before then, really, I mean, Microsoft Word, you can get free uh, macros to format your, you know, your writing in Microsoft Word. And if you use those, there's, you know, at the writing stage, there is not really a lot of difference between that and Final Draft. It's only then when you become into a situation where you need to collaborate with somebody and they all need Final Draft and they all need the same revision markings and all that kind of stuff that it becomes important to use something like Final Draft. But before then, it doesn't actually aid your writing in any way. It's, it's essentially a word processor, you know, which is why I, I kind of thought, well, there must be something, a better way of doing this. So I'm at the time I was involved in some video editing and obviously all that's completely non-linear. You can you know, do any part that you like in any order that you like. And so I had a concept of uh, scene writer initially where I broke everything down by scenes. And then um, it, was, it was pretty crude. The idea was there, but it was pretty crude. And so what I did with Movie Draft, I took that to where I wanted it to be, where you can actually aid your writing because you're not faced with a blank page like you would be with you know, um, Word or Final Draft, and then you've got to start from the top down. You can basically write your scenes as ideas um, in the outliner and then fill them out later in any order that you like. That was what grabbed me initially with your software when I was looking at the screenshots. It just kind of it made sense to me. It, it looked like software that was built around the the way I write, or the, at least the way I think about writing a script, rather than I'm starting with just a blank page and I just start. Sure, and I don't think anybody's brain works like that, and which is why I was quite surprised that you know there was nothing like this beforehand, really. Because my brain, brain certainly doesn't work like that. It's all, it's all over the place. You'll have an idea for an ending. Okay, let's write the ending. You don't say, well, I haven't got there yet, so uh, let's write <laughs> these other 100 pages first. Exactly. That's exactly my point. Yeah, I, I, I think everyone kind of thinks that way. You think of, I've got a really cool scene. I'm going to write up this scene. Yeah. And then go back later and fill in how you get to that par, par, point or how you finish it or whatever it happens to be. But, yeah, I'm exactly that way. And with a program like Word, I could do that. But then I have to save that document out and then basically start another document. And, ugh, it's, it's, yeah. it's not intuitive at all. Sure, you can either collect. You, sorry, you can either um, you know make a collection of scenes as documents uh, in Word, or you know you, you just space down uh, the bits that have come down come later, and then oh yeah, I'll get to those later and sort them out. And then you've actually got to you know cut and paste where uh, these are actually going to go at a later date. Eh, yeah, no. that's it's yeah. a jigsaw puzzle at that point. So, are you, is, sure. do you have experience in writing for the screen, um, Mark? Is that is that why you were looking for a tool like this? Well, um, I was at the time working for a TV production company, and me and another video editor, a friend of mine, we came up with this idea for a film, and we thought, oh yeah, it'd be really great, and so I thought, well, how do you write a film? I had no idea, so um, everything that we had in production at that time was all kind of split AV scripts, so it wasn't you know, um, a Hollywood script, and uh, it was just for TV, and so... I did some research, and that's when I discovered Final Draft and you know um, Movie Magic and all those kind of things. And I downloaded the demos, and that's when I realized 
I, I don't get it. It's, it's just word, you know, and I didn't understand how it would help me write. I could understand how it would format what I wrote, but not how, I help, how it would help me write. So the initial idea came from me and my friend Gavin wanting to write a film. Unfortunately, since then, it's taken to me writing the software <laughs> and the film's on hold. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Have you found yourself as passionate about writing the software as you were uh, actually yeah, producing so. a film? More so. Wow. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because now that I can see where it can go, now that I've got to the point where I've built this the rendering engine and everything as I want it and I know the ideas that I want to implement I mean this is just a first draft really isn't it? it's the version 1 software so you know there's plenty more to come but the the footwork and the foundations that I've put in place I know that I can take it to somewhere else and and that's really exciting me I I think it the software itself is very Obviously, it's built on a Mac and it's for a Mac, but it's very Mac-like. And I don't know if you understand what I mean by that, but it, I feel like it's 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 software specifically designed with a Mac user in mind. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to try and make it as aesthetically pleasing and intuitive as possible. And I think the key thing with a Mac is that fundamentally everything's minimal in the in the sense that you're only given what you need and as opposed to windows where you here have a billion things and change them anywhere you want um but that you know which is fine if if you want to tweak things but ultimately it you know anything that can stop your creative uh, juices flowing because oh I'll just tweak this and I'll just do that uh is a bad thing in my book so I, I thought I'd I pare totally it down. agree I have to be honest, the way I found out about your software wasn't through the Mac App Store. Uh, I get a lot of uh, PR. Obviously, I've been doing my Mac since 1995, so every PR company in the world that supports the Mac and now iOS has my email address. <laughs> so I get it all. Sure. And quite honestly, I skip over it. But one of the ones that I kind of generally look at is from Real Software. Uh, yeah. They make Real Studio, and it's a development platform. That's how I found out about Movie Draft. So I take it... You use uh, Real Studio to actually help you create the software. Yeah, it's all written in uh, Real Studio. It's not written in Xcode. Um, that was fundamentally because at the time, going from Delphi, I had no idea what <laughs> was needed to write on the Mac. And we're going back, you know, a few years ago now because I, I just did it as a hobby initially, and um, in my spare time. And so I looked around. And I saw Xcode, and I saw, you know. Uh, Code Warrior and all this kind of stuff and uh, having downloaded all the demos and all that kind of stuff I just kind of felt, oh, I, I get this and so that's how it I just stuck with it basically So you know their PR works, right? <laughs> well, obviously, yeah <laughs> So what's your background in technology? Did you uh, grow up as a, a techno geek like us or did you kind of come to the technology late in life or Ah, oh, no, I mean, I grew up with a ZX81, and I was programming all sorts of n nonsense, you know, at the age of 11, uh, you know, stupid things like, uh, hey, Mark, how are you? Log in today, with with nothing <laughs> nothing that would happen after that, just a little message would pop up saying, hey, good good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> you talking <laughs> but, to you. Uh, yeah, in essence. <laughs> um, but from there, I, I did a um, an electronics uh, course with, well, an apprenticeship with the Ministry of Defense. And then after that, I got into web development, which is which is where my programming, I suppose, stems from, you know, through JavaScript and .NET and all that kind of stuff. So where did the movie stuff come through? I mean, the tech, the tech well, world and the movie world in, in production are really two different things. Sure. I mean, at the time, I had a job, um, 
I started out at this TV company as an IT um, manager. It was a really, it was quite a small company. We were talking about 30 people or something like that. So I started off as an IT person there. But then they said, oh, you can do some editing. Yeah, yeah, I can do some editing. Cool. So let's do some editing. So I, I was the IT man stroke uh, auxiliary editor. And it was at that job that, you know, like I said, I got talking to Gavin. And then we thought, yeah, let's write a film. Just like that. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> uh, a very similar background to me. I was an IT manager in a smaller shop. It was a huge company, but the uh, the branch that I worked at wasn't very small or wasn't very large. And when they found out that I could do movie editing and stuff like that, I kind of became more of a creative. I was still the IT manager, a team of mm. one. But for all the meetings and stuff, I was always in with the creatives. So it sounds like you kind of had a similar background. Yeah, it was very similar. That's cool. So what's the plans moving forward with uh, Movie Draft? Is it going to be... Is how how big is this going to be? Well, after world domination, I yep. think um, you got to get in line <laughs> behind David and I. <laughs> now, I, I just want to I want to build the best software that I can for people to write um, for the screen. It's as simple as that because I think there has been um, a void in the creativity process. I mean, yes, you can format scripts and you know you can print stuff out and in other software, fine. But in terms of um, actually creating stuff, there's been a void. Um, I think, you know, certain things like Scrivener, which are, you know, excellent pieces of software, that that is kind of uh, a completely different beast in that, you know, it's more geared towards writing a novel or a manuscript or a, uh, um, you know, a technical document or something like that. You can write a screenplay in Scrivener uh, and export it, obviously, but it's really for your first draft. And what I wanted to do, or what I want to do, is create something where it, when you think of writing a, a screenplay, you think, oh yeah, well, just get that because it's easy to do, you know, and why wouldn't you use that? That kind of thing. I'd, I'd love to get to that stage where it's the default program. Was the uh, price point on purpose? You thought, you know, all these other ones are generally expensive, especially when it comes to screenwriting type of software. I want to price yeah. mine where it's going to be more attractive. Well, it's not even so much as being more attractive, but in terms of when I was, you know, writing this um, a few years ago, I couldn't believe the price of some of the software, and I thought, well, what am I going to get on top of what I've already got in Microsoft Word, which is already installed on my machine, um, by spending, you know, $250 or whatever it was at the time. So I just thought, well, if you're a budding writer and you've got an idea for a film, and ideas are so precious, you know, if, if that, something stops you because, oh, I can't, it's too expensive, I'm not yeah. going to bother, you know, well, you could have killed something there. So I'd rather, you know, make it so it's affordable to everyone. But at the same time, I'm finding it quite difficult because I, I'm actually getting people who email me who have bought it telling me to raise the price, and which I find quite strange. Um and I just respond saying, uh-huh. And they said, well, it's it's too cheap. You know, make it 69 or 79 And that way it'll still be cheaper, but it, then it won't seem cheap. And I can understand their point. There is a perceived time. value out there, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but what I was, I would say, say anybody who emailed me like that and say, well, well, fine, just send me some more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you talked me into it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the it, what is it's twenty. I want to say is it twenty four ninety nine or twenty nine ninety nine in U S dollars. Twenty nine ninety nine. So thirty dollars. Uh, yeah. 
at thirty dollars, I don't have to think about it too much. At sixty nine or seventy dollars, yeah, that's we're starting to talk about a little bit more serious money. So, so you need I, to start thinking about it then, don't you? Yes, absolutely. But yeah. at thirty bucks, I've got this one good idea I want to write up. This mm. piece of software is going to help me, and it's only thirty bucks. I'm not going to say mm. it's only seventy dollars. That's ooh, that's seventy dollars. Well, yeah. you know, there, there's a hesitancy uh, at that price point. Yeah, I think my my initial price point was based on well, how much is a, a game, and a game is something pretty much throw away, which you'll complete in ten days or less, and then that money's gone. And I thought, well, if it's you know roughly the same price as a you know a video game, yet you've got it forever, then I'm, I think that's the right price. I think that's yeah. that's absolutely brilliant. I think that's a great. Yeah. I I wish more software developers actually took that kind of uh, mentality. Um, because quite honestly, so the price points on the iOS stuff are generally cheaper than you're finding on the Mac App Store, and yeah. I think some you know, the value is just not there. It's just a quick game that you're going to play two or three times, and then that's it, and that's worth ninety nine cents. But a piece mm-hmm. of software on your Mac is going to change the way you work. It's generally more expensive, but some developers mm-hmm. are taking that to the extreme. It's like ninety nine dollars for this painting program mm. that does one third of what Photoshop does. Eh, sure. You know, at that point I might as well spend two ninety nine and get Photoshop. Sure. And I think there's an argument uh, against that in that well, okay, let's say you sell ten copies at ninety nine ninety nine a day, let's say, but you may sell you know, fifty copies at half that price. Yep. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what their sales figures are, but I just think there is a part a price threshold where people stop thinking, oh, no, it's, it's only this much, and that they start thinking, hang on a minute, oh, we're going to think about this. Uh, maybe, maybe not. And that's yeah. what I wanted to avoid, really. I just wanted to have that price point where people didn't even think about it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's only $30, you know. So what's your uh, favorite? Uh, oh, go ahead, David. I was just going to ask one question about um, sort of future development, Mark. Um, obviously, Lion's on the way, mm. uh, and that has this... Um, this different app mode where you can run things full screen, almost like they're on an iPad. Does, is sure. that the sort of thing, sort of direction you'd like to take your software? Bearing in mind it's about creation and and uh, you know sort of a single focus on writing. Do you, do you see using that sort of mode as, as a good way for uh, movie drafts to go? Well, I mean, even before even before a line was announced with all that, I, I already built in a full screen mode into movie draft. So there's a button in movie draft which. We'll put it in full screen, even in you know Tiger. So um, it's yeah, so it's already there. I mean, obviously, it's slightly different in the way Lion does it because it's all through you know Cocoa and all that kind of stuff, and I'd have to yeah. actually program it to do that. But yeah, you can go full screen. One of the appeals to uh, your software and any software really that I buy in the Mac App Store is that I can install it without an additional cost on any of my machines. I have my mm. iMac here at home, which I'm actually recording this podcast on, and this is the machine I use when I'm at home, but as the uh, CEO of Mac Specialist, I'm on the road every week, and I'm spending a lot of time mm. in hotels. Thus, I can have that software on my laptop as well. It doesn't cost me anything extra. And with Dropbox, I have one central place that I save my files to. So whether I'm in a hotel room or I'm here at home, I've got the same software, and I've got the same document. So sure. I didn't know if you knew that people were using it that way, but that's how I would, I've been kind of playing around with it. Well, I hope they would be using it that way. I mean, my 
my philosophy is that if you buy a license, in the same way that if you buy a CD, you're not limited to playing it in one CD player. You know, you can play, play that CD in the car, in, in, at home, or wherever you want to play it, in somebody else's house. As long as it's your CD and you're listening to it, you have a license to use that. And I think my, my philosophy is very similar in that if you buy a piece of software, you're not actually, you don't actually own that piece of software. You own the license to use that piece of software. And my philosophy is that that license should cover wherever you want to use it on as many computers as you want to use irrespective of you know numbers you may have a hundred pcs or you know macs everywhere for all i know but uh, if they're yours and you use them then that license should cover it as far oh, as i'm concerned i wish more developers had your uh, sensibilities <laughs> i really do um unfortunately i can't speak for apple because i think apple allow you to install it on five of your machines yeah i don't know if that's a a technical problem that they have or they just said well you know let's limit it to five because you can get into to shops that have 20 macs and mm. you know the it manager <clears throat> buys a software on one computer and then deploys it to you know 19 other desktops and sure. you kind of want to be careful about that because at that no. point there are developers are getting ripped off yeah, and I also, I also, I, I've always wondered with that, and I've not got around to trying this, but I don't think there's any code in the Mac App Store that actually stops you from going beyond five. I think. Well, I think there is because when you uh, validate the receipt, um, it has to call home basically to give you a valid receipt, and it would know, I would imagine, how many different uh, UIDs it's already sent up there, and if it, you know, yeah, if you install it a hundred times on the same machine, I think that's fine. But if you install it over a hundred different machines, then it'll go whoa. Yeah, I wonder how it deals with that because obviously you might you might change your marks fairly regularly. So, uh, but you can I mean, you can deauthorize just like you can in, in iTunes. Oh right, I see it, it's the same engine that iTunes is deployed for receipts and that sort of thing. Right. So you can always deauthorize. I did see that option right. in there. Yeah. So no, no, Mark, is your code is your code um PowerPC and Intel or is it just Intel only? Uh, at the moment it's Intel only because it has to be for the Mac App Store. Um right. I mean they're quite quite specific in how you submit things. It has to be Intel only, it has to be ten point six point six or above only. Um so that's the requirements for the Mac App Store. But um I've been I've been working on my web site for the last uh forever and um <laughs> that never ends <laughs> yeah. but um the the idea being once it's released you'll be able to download it for powerpc and i think the minimum requirement i've got at the moment is 10.4.11 i think right. so it you know <laughs> that should be old enough as far as i'm concerned yeah absolutely so what's your favorite pieces of software that you didn't write and when you open up your Mac, what's the, the the top three pieces of software that are just on every Mac that you own? Um, probably Handbrake. Yeah. Uh, which hmm. is we want it. We <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What well, is that for? Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I went through. It's a, it's a long story, but I went through. Um, a period of time where I converted an ambulance into a mobile home. Really? And Yeah, and I lived in that for two years. And because of that, I couldn't have my collection of DVDs, obviously, uh, running around. So I, I ripped them all um, and put them onto an external hard drive. And that's how it started with Handbrake. Um, so I could just you know watch a, a, a movie whenever I wanted uh, without having to you know go somewhere and pick up a DVD or you know, a physical copy. 
Yeah. I'd, so the, it, I, I've been using Handbrake for years. It's great, but I actually, I don't know if this will do uh, ripping a DVD, but converting one video format to another. David gave me a suggestion for another app that's up in the Mac App Store. I think it's three ninety nine called I mm-hmm. is it IVL or IVI David IVI works really really well I'm real impressed with it thank you for sending that via Skype or via Twitter David because uh it's great software it's really really fast um my copy of oh, what is it called now oh it's going to drive me crazy visual sure. hub yeah it was getting a little bit long in the tooth and I wanted something that was a little bit more current and IVI's works really well Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's a great piece of software, and I really like as well how it will search and it, it will identify the video and and fill it in all the you know the the, the titles and the actors and the description oh, and, all okay. that, and kind of bake it all into the file. Yeah, and I was using yeah. MetaX for for all my metadata on my video files, so this is more of a one stop shop. And if it doesn't pull the information correctly, you can go in there manually and change it before you yeah. do anything. So I really like that. That it works great. Thank you. So, uh that's Handbrake is one. What's another one? Two more. Um okay. Uh, let's see. Let me <laughs> look at my dock. Spot. Yeah. Um well, I use Firefox a lot because of um my web work, um uh, mainly for Firebug, which is indispensable. Um I it's not my browser of choice because it, it is a memory hog and after a while you just have to shut it down and open it back up again. But yeah. So, but it, it is one of the my my, my most used apps, all the same. Uh, what else do I use here? Uh, probably Text Wrangler, I would say, is something. Oh, I, use I love Text lot. Wrangler. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I get a lot of submissions for not as much anymore because most of the writers at my Macs actually write and paste right up on the website, and then I just and save it as a draft, and I go edit there. But back in yeah. the day, I would get article submissions, and oh. Just text would be mangled, and Text Wrangler was really good about that. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's really good. And I know you wanted three, but I'm going to give you one more, which is um, Apple's own little backup utility, you know, for the um, mobile me, which is not kind of freely known about. Nobody seems to know about it, but you just kind of find it through their website. But um, I find that quite useful to just run a, a little job to um, iDisk every whatever every four o'clock in the morning or whatever it is I've got it set up to. Well, uh, just forget about it. It's timely because with Apple's announcement at the WWDC this week, earlier this week, MobileMe is going away. I don't know what the status yeah. of having your own iDisk is going to be. My understanding is this time next year is going to be gone. Mm. Um, so that software is not going to be available to you anymore. Are you looking at replacements for it when that finally kind of gives up the ghost? Well, I mean, it's only one of my backups. Yeah. Obviously, I use um, CCC, which um, everybody does uh, or should. Um, Fantastic also, software. Oh, yes, yeah, brilliant. You know, I've got it set so... Uh, I used to have it so my drive was always plugged in and, you know, it would back up at a certain time. But I just hate the whirring of the drive because I've got um, an SSD in my MacBook Pro, so, which is, so it's dead silent. And just having this external drive going... Wee! It's just annoying. So I've got it set so that when you plug it in, it just clones. And I do that every day, just plug it in and clone. I've also got another one, which is for Time Machine, just in case. And uh, this this whole backup 
Bonanza started because I actually had a heart rate failure on my SSD mm. and lo lost. Uh, I was really sloppy because uh, I thought, oh, I'll upgrade to an SSD. It'll be secure as anything and didn't bother backing up for three months and lost Ooh. three months worth of work. That's painful. And yeah, that, that wasn't fun. Um, and this was I lost some like three months worth of movie draft. Uh, work at the time, but as always, when that happens, you always write it better. You know, you because you write it in a certain way, and it's almost like the second draft when you come to do it again, because you remember how you first did it, and then by that time you think, oh no, I can do it this way, and so it's always a silver lining, but not at the time. Not at the time, no, uh, no, no. So now I book back up profusely, you know, or everywhere. You know, I've got key fobs and hard drives everywhere, and up to iDisk. But uh, yeah, but yeah, it's a good point about what they're going to do with iCloud. I'm not sure yet. So, any plans on developing on the iOS platform? That seems to be the darling right now of uh, developers. And one yeah. of the reasons that I was really excited about your software, I'm like, oh, this is great. Some some new software that's really cool for the Mac. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> this is not, you know, after a while, I'm, I'm, I'm almost at the point where it's like, okay, I want to see more stuff on the Mac because that's the creation tool. iOS, love it. I've got an iPad. I've got an iPhone. Sure. Absolutely love them. But those are consumption devices. Those aren't creativity devices. I mean, there's stuff that you could do on it, but for the most part, well, generally, you know, I'm not going to write a movie script yeah. on my iPhone. Well, I wish more people would think that because <laughs> the amount of emails I've had saying, is this going to be available for the uh, iPad? Slug, iPhone? Uh, and I, so I had to write a blog about it eventually, and I just sent them a link because, you know, they would. <laughs> some people actually bought it on the Mac App Store and said, I can't install it on my iPad. <laughs> and, you know, well, duh. <laughs> you know? Um, serves you right, basically. But, um, uh, no, so I, I eventually wrote a blog about it, just how explaining how I didn't personally think it was the right tool for writing a screenplay, even though they might. And ultimately, you know, I've got a resource of one. And um, currently this resource is doing... You know, the managing director role is doing the uh, project manager role, is doing the designer role, is doing the developer role, is doing the web designer role. And, you know, I just don't have enough time. I, it would be great if I could split myself in half and say, okay, go and work on that just to keep people quiet. But I think it's more of a nice to have because there, is, there does seem to be a massive bandwagon at the moment. Everybody's jumping on it. And I think you're right. There seems to be people neglecting the Mac. And yeah. I, whether that's me being stupid and thinking that they shouldn't or because uh, I'm missing something but I personally couldn't live in front of an iPad all day. I've got my iPad with me pretty much 24-7 for my support email because being in the UK uh, most of my uh, customers are in the US because of the screenwriting software. I think uh, I think 66% roughly are in the US and the rest are throughout the rest of the world. Yeah, so because there's of a bunch of dreamers here that think they're going to make it big. It's a problem. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. But because of the time difference, I've, I've got my iPad with me all the time just to answer support emails because it's a lot easier doing it than on your well, iPhone. I know you're night owl because I, we were chatting via email back and forth and it was like 10 o'clock my time. Like this guy's <laughs> yeah. up, and it's the middle of the night over there. Yeah, I am a night owl. In fact, it's four p.m. here, and I, I haven't been to I haven't been to bed yet. So, oh, I'm, I'm still going. That's brutal. <laughs> so, are, do well, you do this full time, or do you have another job? Well, I'm in transition at the moment because um, I'm a contractor. I'm a web developer contractor, and uh, my contract runs out at the end of July. So, at the moment, I'm working 
I pretty much have four hours sleep at most a day because I go and do my contract because I, I'm still in contract for that and um, come back and then I work on the website in preparation for releasing that so I can carry on. Uh, it's a bit hectic, but um, I'm really looking forward to the end of July where I can just focus completely on, on this. Do you see a time, though, because that this is going to be your, this is how you make your money, you're a, a software developer, you're going to go to WD, WWDC, places like that, because that's your business, that's how you're making the majority of your income? Um, I'm not sure about the whole WDC thing, because um, I don't see myself as a developer, I see myself as a creative, and this really is, um, a movie draft is a tool, and it's it's not, I'm not... How can, I, how can I explain it? I didn't learn programming to be a geek. I learned programming because I wanted to create something, and I had a need for it. And so I see myself more as a creative, and I, I don't really see myself as wanting to go and be a programmer. I'd rather, if I have got that time spare, I'd rather spend it writing or playing the guitar or something like that. But... Um, I do see myself as doing this full time. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm already doing it full time as well as another job at the right. moment. Um, so, um, so are you Mark Zuckerberg or are you uh, Richard <laughs> Gervais? Is really the question. Uh, yeah, well, neither. I think because no? I, I, don't, I don't have any delusions of grandeur. I just want to, um, as long as I can pay my rent and have food on the table, that's really all I, I care about. But you know, that's where the biz- I, I, biz- business biggest success comes from. It's not those who are trying to be the next Ricky or Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks. It's it's the guy who's putting in 80 hours a week. It's it's that person usually is the ones that have the most success because they got really good at their craft. They didn't look at the quote-unquote bigger picture. They concentrate on what they could do right now to make it better. And that's usually what makes people more successful, I think. Not everybody, well, but... It depends how you measure success. I mean, personally, I feel, I feel quite successful already, having um, got it released. <laughs> because having you know done it as a hobby for so many years, you you can the the release date is elastic. You know, it's oh well, I'll just add this feature, and mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'll just add this one, and you know, oh I'll just add this, and before you know it, you know, six months has passed, and uh, you still haven't released. And in fact, if it wasn't for the Mac App Store being announced. I don't think I would ever have released Movie Draft this year. Really? Because, well, yeah, because I'm such a perfectionist. Yeah. Um, I always just want to get it right. But I think Guy Kawasaki said, you know, just get it to a point where it's okay and release it. But I find that difficult to do. And it wasn't for the Mac App Store. If it wasn't for that coming up um, as a, an avenue, I kind of thought, well, I, I need to release this now, which is what I did. I, I really worked hard to get it released. And then I realized... Oh, I've got a website, so you know. Uh, <laughs> ah, so I'm kind of playing catch up at the moment because I released that, and it's great in one way because you know you've, it's in a, some sort of store, which is fine, and people can buy. It. But I had to just make a one-page holding page on my on my domain just so there was something there, you yeah. know. Um, but in the meantime, I've obviously had to create this whole kind of proper website with a you know community-driven thing and all that kind of stuff because I think that's really important as a writer because the people who can use the software are creative people so they're not the kind of people who download you know like a video ripping software and then that's it you know they're people who they're you know maybe a little bit um insecure with their ideas and all that kind of stuff because you know all writers and creative people generally are everybody wants praise all that kind of stuff and so i think building a community 
uh, kind of like a forum, if you like, um, is an important part of this kind of a website. For me, from my point of view, uh, I think it is. And so I'm sp- I've been spending quite a lot of time honing that so that buying the software is not the end of it. You know, so when you buy the software, there's a whole... In in theory, there's a whole community behind it where you can then share your ideas or maybe, you know, post up a script for people to read and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, hey, you know, I've got it to this stage. Does anyone read it? Yes. Well, what, would I do? what do I do next, et cetera? Uh, or, or even ask questions about, you know, how do you do this in MovieDraft, et cetera? And that will actually help not only the people but also myself in that if there's a community of users who help each other out, then that lowers my actual support um, time, which means I can spend more time developing the software. So it's a, it's kind of a win-win situation, except I have to put in the hours right now to develop it in the first place. Yeah. I was in here trying to think, what's a software, a big software company out there that uh, kind of is similar but is in a lot of trouble and Quark kind of jumped up to my head. I thought, you oh, know, yeah. Quark is kind of, they're a dinosaur at this point. They don't seem to have <laughs> any new ideas. If Quark came to you and offered you a million bucks for your software to own it, would you sell it to him? Well, that's an interesting question because someone has already come, not offered me a million, million dollars, not anywhere near that, but um, no numbers were talked about. But a competitor has approached me. Um, in fact, they approached me within uh, a week and a half of it being released on the uh, Mac App Store. Um, you got someone's attention then. <laughs> well, yeah. And I kind of thought, well, I don't need, you know, what, Thanks, you know, I felt kind of flattered, but at the same time, I, you know, that's not what I'm doing this for. I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing this because I'm passionate about it. I really have great ideas of where this wants to go. And uh, I'd really like to be able to be in the point where if I'm doing that for a living without any of the pressures of another job of all that kind of stuff, and I can focus on it properly, then and it's no longer a, a hobby, then I think I can take it to that place where I want it to be. And so I basically said thank you but you know it's, it's too soon for me to do anything like that at the moment but you know come back in six months time if i'm not selling any copies for sure but um but yeah somebody did approach me but how sales think, been yeah. sales been pretty good so far um yeah it's definitely been okay to to live off um but i've had a spout of good luck because it went on the home page on the mac app store and it was on there for about three weeks through various banners it's off there now, but they've they created this category called um, Apps for Writers, which is just in one of the quick links. Uh-huh. And it's in there, along with, you know, Scrivener and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, that's that's okay at the moment. I mean, the sales have dropped drastically since, the, obviously, a massive banner on the homepage, sure. as you can understand. But I'm still getting sales, so I'm, I'm, I can still make enough money to live off at the moment. How that's going to change if they drop that category, I don't know. But that doesn't really matter because even if they drop to zero, I know I can sell it. People do buy it. And so my my whole plan is, well, let's get the website finished. And then, I, you know, the thing is I've got to keep telling myself is I haven't done any marketing whatsoever. Yeah, so, that was my next question. What kind of a, is a one-man show, you know, you're not a, a super rich guy that can hire a marketing firm. How do you approach marketing? Is it... You, you find you a websites, or is it just peer to peer, or yeah, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, so am I. Um, I think <laughs> <laughs> what I the way I see it is I have nothing to market at the moment because the only thing I would be marketing would be the Mac App Store. Sorry, David, what was that? Yeah, we don't hear you at all, David. Hello. Okay, there uh, you go. Sorry, glitch. <laughs> 
Are you still talking, David? Because we can't hear you. I didn't, I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, so the, the only thing I would be um, marketing would be the Mac App Store. So I don't I, think there's any any point in me doing anything with my resources at the moment. Far better, you know, spending my resources to um, finish the website and all until uh, until I've got actually something tangible that I can actually market. I don't know the the what. The website is great and all, but it's the software that I'm interested in more than anything else. We're getting an echo from somewhere. I think it's you, yeah. David. Okay. So we're gonna <laughs> drop we're gonna drop you out for a minute, okay? And then I'll bring okay. you back in. Sure. Nothing like live podcasting. <laughs> and the echo is gone, so we know it was David. Yeah, he was doing it on purpose. He was absolutely. So we're bringing him back in now. We don't edit this out, by the way. Our listeners are used to it. <laughs> okay, let's see. Yep, it's gone, David. Thank you. Okay, no problem. Um, it's the software that, sure. more than anything else, so you do have something to market, I would think, that yeah. there's a lot of writers out there that, honestly, they don't know anything about the software. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show this week is because generally Mac users are a little bit more creative than the average PC user. They also have a little bit more disposable income. That's why you don't see uh, a Windows app store out there, because I don't think it would make a lot of money right now. With that being said, there's so many creative people out there in the Mac world. I know quite a few listen to this podcast and the MyMac podcasting network in general, and they all advertise the show as well, that I wanted to get the word out more for Movie Draft because um, I think it's really good software. I think that it's needed. It's at a price point that anybody can afford. And I think most people have at least one good script in them, and this will help them greatly get it out there. You know, even if it never gets produced, at least you wrote it up. At the very least, you did that. And that's kind of why I wanted to get you on the show is to obviously talk about Movie Draft, but you as a person as well, because I read your story. You, this was something that you needed yourself, Mm -hmm. and so you wrote the software. That's what I find very interesting. That. You're just a guy. You're not like you know some super developer in in the San Francisco <laughs> Bay Area. You're just a guy. You're in the UK. You needed software that would work the way your mind worked to write scripts, sure. and you just and you did it. I mean, to me, that's a great story right there. Well, thank you. Um, I, I guess I have got um, something to market, um, but what? Um, ultimately, I would prefer is not to send people to the Mac App Store. Um, I would prefer that they bought from the website so that I could actually keep in touch with people. Um, because I, I, th- I think that community is really important. And there are so many faceless software companies out there. And a lot of people approach companies with that mentality from the outset. You'll get an email. I mean, I've had them. You know, you get emails saying, oh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, abuse, 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 abuse. And then um, it didn't do this, da-da-da-da, you know, because I'm just a faceless company to them. And then I reply with, oh, hi, you know, I'm Mark, you know, how are you doing, all that kind of stuff. I developed it, blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as you do that, their response completely changes. They realize, oh, oh, hi, oh, I'm sorry about that. Um, oh, yeah, thanks, etc. And I think... That's why I kind of beg to differ in that the the website isn't important because to have that community for me is important. I would rather people were you know la 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 la. la. Well, I didn't mean to imply that the website wasn't important, but it wasn't the selling point for me. It, oh, the no, selling no, point no, was sure. the software. 
Sure. And sure. if I didn't, if it wasn't for that one email from Real Software for for me to to learn about your software, I never would have found out about it. And that's why I was kind of curious about the marketing efforts. How how are you going to reach the majority of the people who would buy your software? Yeah, truth is, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, and I think you're in the same boat as a lot of small developers. When sure. I say small, I don't mean in stature. I mean in you know, company size. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but the thing about uh, the website is that is your storefront as well. Yeah. And if, if you were walking down the street in some kind of, you know, side alleyway somewhere, not somewhere where, you know, near, not near Harrods or Macy's or, or anything like that, all the big ones with shiny lights, hey, look at us, come in, dun, da, da. not those kind of stores. You were just down some alleyway. You would not go into a shop unless you thought it looked interesting or, hey, what's this? Oh, look, quirky. Look, they make their own pine furniture or whatever it is. You wouldn't go in there if the storefront wasn't appealing to you or drew you in in some way. And I Absolutely. Think, and I think with that one-page website, it's, it really is. You know, It was done in a day, practically. And It looks um, nice. I mean, it, it's fine. It looks nice, but it does nothing. You know, right. all it does is basically send people to somewhere else. Go off to the app store now. You know, that's basically all it does. And so, because of that, I can't increase my SEO. I can't, you know, increase my rankings in Google, which is really important because I need people to walk down that street. I need people to walk down that street and walk into that shop. And I can't do that from one page. You know, and so. I, I, it is important to me to get that website finished, not only from a community point of view, but also from a marketing point of view, so I can increase the SEO um, count by having lots of pages which are quite useful, you know, with lots of content and all that kind of stuff. So Google, when they, when it comes to troll my site, it doesn't just say, oh, you got one page. Uh-huh, okay, bye. You know, it comes in and goes, oh, right, you got information about this. Oh, you've got a whole community thing going on here. Hey, you're not, you're not too bad, are you? So, you know, let's let's raise you up a bit in the stakes. So that's the point where I want to get at, where it actually is a functional device as well. Where did the script that comes with it, there's kind of a demo script in the software when you download it. Where did that come from? Oh, yeah. I mean, Joe wrote that. Uh, Joe Powish wrote that for me when I <laughs> in the days of Scene Writer. I mean, this is going back to the price thing because... At the time, I, I, I don't know, Scene Writer was that version 2 or whatever it was. And, um, you know, I say version 2 as if it was like some big deal. It was, <laughs> you know, it was like point yeah. 2. And um, um, I, I was in some kind of um, writing groups, you know, some Yahoo writing groups. And somebody approached me to say, you know, well, you know, Joe, I think, would like a copy. You know, he hasn't got a lot of money, etc. So I, uh, I emailed him, and I was looking for some sort of demo script, and I, you know, I didn't have enough time to write one myself because I was doing all the programming and stuff. So I, I emailed him and said, look, Joe, if you write me a little short, I, I can give you a free copy of the software. And he went, yeah, fine. And it's, it's been uh, on there ever since. Yeah, I liked it. I, I thought, well, this is really clever. There's an actual working script here that... Honestly, it, I think that it would help someone downloading the software to see an actual script, how it's oh, laid yeah. out. It, it's it made it was something small, maybe for some people. But for me, it was a big deal. I thought this is a piece of software where the the developer is not only writing good software, he's understanding the people that's buying the software. And as much as I said, you know, you're presented with a blank piece of paper or a blank screen when you fire up Word, you are with your software as well for the most part. It's a it's a blank piece of paper, but here, oh look, here's a script, demo script. It shows exactly what the different things do, and oh, okay, I get it. It's intuitive now. Mm. Yeah, um, and I think you know even further than that was when I decided I needed to have some sort of um, 
video just to explain the features visually because because it does work in a different way uh, being non-linear i mean you don't automatically think of a text based uh, device as being non-linear and so uh, it's so easy to show somebody oh it's like this and then they get it straight away yeah and but to write it, or hey, it's non-linear. People go, well, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. You know, oh, can I carry on writing like a writing word or final draft? Yes, you can if you want to. But hey, how about this way? And uh, the amount of people after they've seen the video contact me and say, oh my god, I love single scene mode. It's brilliant, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> and um, you know, well, it's just a simple idea. You know, um, but unless you show somebody, they probably wouldn't even pick up on it. So. Usually, when people email me, I can see that they haven't seen the video because they'll say, "Hey, how did you get this thing on that screenshot that you did?" And so I say, "Ah, oh, you know, I do it this way." But you know, take a look at the video. You might find something there which is quite interesting. And they do, and they immediately reply back saying, "Oh, yeah, great! I could do that. Brilliant!" And so, um, yes, I think the help file is is useful, definitely. But I think the video is even better um, from showing a features point of view um, as as a kind of a quick, you know, passive way of showing somebody, hey, just sit back, you know, have a drink and watch this. And then, oh, okay, and take it in, and then they get it straight away. The software is called Movie Draft Software. His name is Mark O'Neill. It's mm -hmm. moviedraft.com. Go up there, check it out. You will find it. the video Mark was just talking about, screenshots, obviously a link to the Mac App Store, but you can download uh, a demo from your website. Mark, I want to thank you very much for being on uh, Tech Fan this week. And uh, much success, man. I think the software is great. I think uh, yeah. budding writers out there are really going to enjoy it. Thanks, Tim, and thanks, Dave. That's all right. John Nemo here, the MyMac Reviews Editor. In less time than it takes Guy and Gaz to get out of their introduction and dig into their man cave, you could have listened to several episodes of the Pocket Size Podcast featuring John Nemo's World's Shortest Review Cast. Get with it. And again, thanks to uh, Mark O'Neill for coming on the show this week. Very interesting guy, David. I love his philosophy in software. Absolutely. I, as you, I mean, you said a couple of times, you know, I wish more developers had that kind of attitude, which mm -hmm. is, you know, it's not about extracting every cent or every dime out of their customers, but it's about delivering something that they really want to use. And you can tell he's really passionate about the software and how it functions and how people will use it uh, to create what they need to create. And I, that's what I really liked about it. Yep, I look forward to hearing about the first um, great Hollywood script that's been written in uh, Moveshraft. That would be cool. That would be really cool. Hopefully it'll be mine. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. So, David, uh, this is a big week, and I know we're running long in the tooth. We're going to keep this uh, the next segment shortened. But we've got enough fodder for the next couple of shows with everything that's been going on. Yeah. But there's some big things out there. Let's start at E3. The Wii U was announced by Nintendo going on sale next year, probably the end of next year, if, if uh, Nintendo follows their regular release schedule. Uh, yeah. It's I, interesting. I, I, interesting. I, I think this is really a bit of a masterstroke. Um, when, I, when I read the... Because um, even like everyone else was expecting kind of a, a Wii HD, but basically it was just, just the same product, just with better graphics. But instead what they've done is they've incorporated some, some very different design features. Firstly, it's completely backwards compatible with the Wii. Yes, but, but it's not backwards <laughs> compatible with the GameCube. No, but uh, I, I guess very few people will be uh, crying too much about that, I guess. Probably not, but there's a few GameCube games that are still played quite 
often in this household on the Wii. Yeah, but having said that, you would imagine many people who've already got the Wii will want this one as well. Like, I, yeah. I guess they'll keep the old the old card as well. What's really interesting is this controller they've got that, um, you know, is uh, effectively it's a virtual console. So it has a big touchscreen, six and a half inch touchscreen in the middle of it. Um, looks on the outside, uh, the, around the touchscreen, going much more like a conventional console controller. But you can actually move the games back and forth between the console and the screen on the on the uh, controller. Now they said that the Wii U will only support one of those controllers. So right. I'm kind of curious what the other controllers are. Is it the Wii Wii Mote? Obviously, it's going to support the Wii Mote. So, but is it going to come with the Wii Mote? Is this controller going to be packaged in with the the Wii U, or is this a peripheral you have to buy? There's a lot of unanswered yeah. questions. There, there are, but uh, it's clear that Nintendo is is continuing to do what it did with the the Wii itself, which is really try to innovate gaming in a way that I don't think Sony and Microsoft do. I mean. If you look at their most recent products, they are basically variations on the Wii theme. Yes. Whereas Nintendo's trying to do something again completely different than everyone else. It's almost like they're following uh, Apple's lead. I mean, it, yeah. it's very iPad-esque. It, it is. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, you've, you've talked many times on, on the show about how great it would be if you could just pick up your iPad, play a game on it, and then transfer it to your Apple TV kind of a similar sort of concept yeah it's very interesting uh and i apologize to the listeners for david's audio quality that happens and we'll just live with it this is a podcast and it's not costing anybody a dime so (laughs) (laughs) it is what it is um i know justin bryce uh and i mentioned him earlier in the show he's going to be taking over geekiest show ever um i and i can't wait for that but obviously as a halo guy he's got to be excited about halo 4 being announced my only concern there is it's not being developed by bungie it's being developed in-house by Microsoft. Um, they showed a teaser trailer for it, and eh, they didn't really show anything. I, I understand why why hardcore Halo fans would get excited, but it just looked like a cutscene out of Halo 3, so I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, it, it, time will tell on that one. It really is, that's all about the execution. I didn't really see anything else that jumped out at me at E3 this year, though. I... I I was I really was expecting Microsoft to to announce the next Xbox. I really was. Um, yeah, and I think they're starting I, I to fall behind. Well, they, I mean, they're really trying to milk, milk the Kinect, and it's all about the Kinect games. But uh, I just I just don't see that being a long term strategy. It's, it's a Me Too product. Yeah, it's a Me Too product, and I don't know. I I, I don't want to see the Xbox fail. I really really like that gaming platform. I just. I, I'm ready for something new, something different. I want yeah. graphics to the next level. And they've pretty much maxed out for a while now the the type of graphics that you're going to get on the Xbox 360. Let's be honest. Uncharted 1, the first Uncharted, have graphics got any better on the Xbox than that game? And it's, you know, three and a half, four years old. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah probably not. You know, I saw, I saw cutscenes for Uncharted 3, and I'm like, well, yeah, it looks great. But it doesn't look any better than... The first Uncharted. If if I showed you cutscenes from the new one and the first one, you couldn't tell the difference. No, no, exactly. What did you think about the new Sony handheld console? Though? Well, that was already announced. Uh, that I already knew about that. Um, it looks interesting. You know, it, basically, it, it, the screen looks brilliant, and it is a touch screen as well. But they're 
they're finally doing what everyone wanted. They wanted a PSP with a better screen and dual stick. That's what people wanted, and they're finally doing it. So they finally brought the the PSP from 2005 up to snuff, and it took them six years to do. So yeah, I, I'm kind of I was a bit jaded about it as well. I, I feel I got burned a bit with the PSP. I think it was fantastic hardware, but the software support just was never really there. Nope. Um, and the developers didn't really get behind it, and Sony diluted the brand with all, you know, the movies and all this sort of thing as well, and, and, and they've continued to kind of fiddle around with it, but at this point, I'm thinking, I don't want to drop money into another console that's going to end up sat my shelf doing nothing. Well, and that's exactly where I come from. With the uh, Nintendo 3DS, I have no plans on buying one. Yeah, if maybe. one of my kids eventually wants one for Christmas or something, that might be a different story. Maybe Santa Claus will bring it to him. Um, as far as the what is it? The PSP Vista? Is that what it's called? Uh, Vita. Vita, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if someone gave me one, I wouldn't complain, but I can't see myself spending any money on one, honestly. No. Uh, unless there's some really killer games, I just don't see it happening. And then it's going to be competing with how much I'm spending time with my iPhone and my iPad. I mean, that's, right, yeah. that's where I'm doing my portable gaming now. It's, it just is. And I think... Nintendo and Microsoft, or I'm sorry, Nintendo and Sony, really don't quite get that they're not competing with each other anymore. They're competing against Apple's iOS platform. And, and, and nobody said anything about trying to sort of take it back to that market at no, all. No, it's, it's almost like they're trying to... Sony seems to be going after the hardcore gaming market in handheld, and I don't think that's a big market. I really don't. No. Casual gaming is much bigger so the other big event obviously the wwdc um wrapping up today uh i you know lion looked impressive but i didn't really learn anything about lion that i didn't already know no um ios 5 there's some interesting features there uh i'm looking forward to it but again we're what months away from that being released? Yeah, uh, they pushed Lion back a month. That was supposed to come out in June. Now it's July. There was absolutely nothing on Final Cut Pro or Final Cut X or whatever the heck it's called now. Yeah, uh, and I was really looking forward to learning more about that, and we got nothing. And that's supposed to be released any time now, and we I don't have any information. And uh, what was the other big one? Uh, iCloud. iCloud. Um. Probably the most white bread limp name you could probably give a service, I think. Yeah, well, it, it was the obvious <laughs> choice. Uh, iCloud. So, really? So really? You'd have, you'd, have thought, you'd have thought they would have done something in this more sophisticated. But, I mean, this, this was a funny one. You know, it was the service kind of everyone was speculating about, and they pre-announced it before they actually did the keynote. Which is weird. Uh, which is strange, yeah. And... Um, then they named it something which was kind of everyone assumed would be the code name, but nothing more. Um, it, it's unusual, but I think I think iCloud is one of those things that once we actually all get it working properly, I, I, I think we're going to find it's one of the smartest things they've ever made. It, it could be a game changer. And if it yeah. works even 75% as well as they demoed, I think it'll be great. They've already yeah. rolled out a little bit of the features, i.e. if you go into uh, your... Um, the iTunes store now on your mobile device, you can actually download songs that's not on that device. 
Um, yeah. Although not in the UK. <laughs> no. Uh, and there was a story in the news this morning saying they don't think that we will get um, iTunes match and all the iCloud iTunes features until next year now because yeah. of the licensing deals. Um, so, so that I mean that that's gonna that's gonna slow down progress really. But well, once it's all there, and obviously in the US it will be there more quickly. I, and the, the, the master stroke really is it, is it it solves so many of the problems that people have with the iOS devices and, and synchronizing them with the Mac. And at the same time, it creates a, such a seamless environment. Why would you want to use any other platform? The only thing that really jumped out at me was Steve's one more thing. Yeah. And um, I don't know what to think about it. it. It's $25 a year. Do you want to explain what the service is? Yeah, it's called iTunes Match. And the idea is that if you've ripped CDs or you have music on your computer that you didn't buy from the iTunes store, it will go through those and it will say, oh, I, I know what that track is. And then it will um, allow you to to have in your iCloud version of the iTunes store a um, Apple-sourced copy of that music. At a very high quality, too. At very high quality. Yeah, that's $25 a year. Uh, now, a lot of people have said, oh, well, hang on a minute. Uh, that's you know what, what what happens if i haven't you know what happens if i haven't written the music why can't i get a subscription service but i don't think that's what apple's going for here no nope. i don't think they could sell a, that service to the record companies by saying well we will offer a, a, a you know an all you can eat subscription instead of a very smart move they're saying well effectively this is 25 dollars and it's an amnesty for any tracks you have wherever you might have got them from on your computer yeah. and allows you to get the digital versions I think it's a brilliant move. Um, yeah. I, I've heard a lot of criticism about it, and I understand the criticism. I don't share the opinion of those who are you know, hotly criticizing it. I think it's brilliant. It's $25 yeah. a month. That, that's just nothing. It really is nothing. A year, $25 a year. Exactly. A year. I'm if sorry. You, a year. Yeah. If you want to sign up for a sort of streaming uh, subscription service. It's way more. Um, it's what yes, yeah, ten, fifteen dollars a month at least. Yeah, yeah. Spotify here in the UK is ten pounds a month for the full service, and the point is, when you stop paying that money, you, everything disappears. Now, with this, you, you don't pay your twenty five dollars, where you still have everything you've got. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and and for those tracks that Apple does not have, and I'll be honest, there's a lot of music in my library that Apple simply doesn't have. Yeah. It you can it will actually upload that to iCloud, so you yeah. will have access. To your own music that's not in iTunes. So, like ACDC, for instance, is not sold in the iTunes store. So, it will upload your copy, but the vast majority of music that everyone has is in iTunes. So, I think it's a brilliant move uh, from a purely selfish standpoint. If I'm sitting in my hotel and I want to hear a particular song that, oops, I didn't sync to my iPhone, boom, there it is. I've got it. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm you know, while syncing with your with your iPhone, your iPad, all your devices, you know, I've I've wanted that for ages. Yep. Um, you know, because I'm always switching devices. I'm always moving from my computer to my iPhone to my iPad and back again. So the fact that I can just kind of just uh, wherever I'm up to, whatever I've got on there, will always be the same. Is is going to be a massive massive saver for me. My um my uh, non iOS iPods are all going up on there because. You know, when this comes in, there's no reason to have a non-iOS device anymore. Yeah, they, they. I think this is effectively killing the iPad Classic, isn't it? Well, yeah. Why would you? If you can get all that stuff out of the cloud, why would you need to have a, a large hard drive on your device? That's exactly right. And I think this is also um, a response from Apple saying, "Look, 
SD prices aren't going to come down in uh, you know solid state drives are not going to come down really quickly, uh, and the size isn't going to go up that quickly. Here's a solution. It's just in the cloud. You don't need a two terabyte hard drive in your laptop. You don't. Yeah. So I think it's a brilliant move. I can't wait to see what the next step is. I'm looking forward to when they actually release all this stuff and we can start playing with it. I think it's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to it, David. Yeah, it's going to be great. So, uh, again, we apologize for not having the show last week. Um, We were actually planning on doing it on Tuesday so we can cover the Apple stuff. But at that point, we were just like, oh, let's just wait till Friday. We've got Mark O'Neill coming on the show. Um, And I honestly, I I didn't want to do yeah, that, but that also was the day of the of the big, great Skype hole in the sky. Yes, and that's yeah. that's the technical reason we didn't do it. Uh, yeah. I could I could have done a show by myself that day, but I really didn't want to. Um, yeah. I haven't done a solo show, show since OWC Radio. You've done a couple on uh, Tech yeah. Fan Solo, but I haven't done one solo. Um, yeah, I didn't want to spend an entire show on the WWDC or E3. I just didn't well, think there was enough to fill a full show, and and it's and sort of that that kind of focusing is not really our beat. We're, no, we're really more about you know general what's going on in tech rather than focusing specifically on that. And, you know, the Minot guys covered it in some detail. Absolutely, and, uh, and did a good job. But, for the, yeah, exactly. But for, for those of our listeners who listen to all our shows, they don't want to hear the same thing over and over again. That's right. And I and I was really impressed with Mark and in uh, the screenplay software movie draft. I thought that was just really cool. I wanted to get the yeah. word out. And we haven't done an interview like that with a developer on TechFan at all yet. In fact, the last yeah. developer interview I did was uh, Mike Bombich on OWC Radio when uh, for uh, what was the software uh, Carbon Copy Cloner. So yeah. when I when I was talking to, with Mark about coming on the show, I actually sent him a link to that show and I said here's the last time I did a developer interview, and this is kind of what it's going to be like. Um, and I'd like to have more of those. I, I'm really interested in in how developers go about creating their software, the creative process, where they see the software going. I like the question, hey, uh, Cork Express offers you a million bucks, do you sell? I, I think that's kind of an interesting, I like their answers. Uh, whether they say, well, hell yeah, or, <laughs> well, not for a million, but for two, sure. Um, you know, I'd be interested in getting um, in speaking to somebody who develops for Google to find out how different that is to what their attitude to that is. Something that we need to pursue, absolutely. There's yeah. no reason we couldn't get someone from Google on the show. So with that, uh, David, I think we're going to wrap up. We're uh, way we're, we're approaching an hour and 15 minutes at this point. We usually generally keep the show under an hour, so we apologize for going long this week, folks, but it's, it's basically two shows worth of, of podcasting. We'll be back uh, next week. I'm not sure which day because I'm uh, I'm busy on uh, Friday. So, okay, well, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we'll be back. It won't be two weeks. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.